0: Father, we love you. Lord, we love you, we love you, we love you. But more importantly, Lord, truly, you love us, you love us, you love us. God, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to get up and to come be with family, Lord, this morning. God, I thank you, Lord, for every awkward moment. I thank you for every bit of tension. I thank you for all the sweetness of it all, God, in the way that you are moving in us and among us and through us. God, we are asking, Lord, this morning, God, that you would come and that you would meet us in your word. Lord, we acknowledge, Lord, that this is not our word, but it is your word, Father, to us. And God, we're asking, Lord, that you would give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who you are, God, that the eyes of our heart would be open, they would be enlightened and opened, and that you would fill us with the truth God, in the knowledge of your will, God, that you would impart, as Colossians 1 says, God, that you would impart to us the grace to walk in a manner that is worthy, God, of your call on us and to us. Father, I thank you for every family in this room that is represented, whether they're married or they're single, God. I thank you for every child. Lord, I thank you for every past, present, and future, God, that is gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And God, I'm asking, Lord, that you would just continue... Lord, to break up the fallow ground in our hearts. God, wherever that might be. Lord, wherever wherever the seed is not getting into the soil. God, I'm asking, Lord, that you would open up the soil and that, God, you would pour in the seed and that you would pour in the water of your word and that, God, you would produce fruit in us that is 30, 60, 100-fold, God, what you've given in. God, we're asking, God, we're asking for grace, Lord, this morning to go deeper in our understanding, Lord, this, so that we can walk, God, as you walk. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you got your Bibles? Who's in Ephesians 2? Yes, amen. I, um, I had a burden on my heart when I woke up this morning. Some of you are going to laugh because it's a very familiar burden to me, and the burden was this, to call us to the cross again. And before you, like, get heavy and start going, oh, my gosh, I'm going to start in a different place because I believe that the Lord needs us to understand, and he's been confirming this through many conversations with many people in this community, that How many of you believe and understand that it takes grace to embrace the cross? That if you try to embrace the message of deny yourself, pick up your cross and come after me. If you try to do that on your own, you will burn yourself out. You will wear yourself out. You will become tired and heavy and struggling. Right? Anybody ever been there? I honestly don't know anybody including the disciples who when they came to follow Jesus... I think it took them quite a bit of time. (laughs) They were perplexed, to say the least, by the way that Jesus lived his life. I want to say something to you this morning that you may have not heard before, but it is the truth and it is in your Bible. Are you ready for it? When Jesus called the 12, he wasn't just calling them to ministry, he was calling them to himself. He didn't say, follow me and then come and do all this stuff. He just said, come and follow me. Come and be with me. He wasn't calling them to go run around and get busy for him, although eventually they would. He was calling them to come and be with him. Luke chapter 10, you don't have to go there, but it tells the story of Mary and Martha. Anybody ever heard the story of Mary and Martha? Right, so we have this idea or this story that One woman named Mary has chosen the better part of sitting at the feet of Jesus inside the home of Martha, who for all intents and purposes in that moment was being a busybody, right? She's running around doing all this stuff. And in Luke 10, the word actually says that she was distracted, say distracted, by all of her preparations, The Greek word for preparations in the text in Luke 10 is actually the word diakonos, which is where we get the word for ministry, Connor. So she was distracted, Aaron, by all of her preparations to do ministry for God. I'm going to go out and do something for the Lord. I'm distracted with what I'm going to do for him so much so that I'm not paying attention to the reality that he's invited me to come and just sit at his feet. We've said it before. We want to keep saying it again in this season that you're not a human doing, bro. You're a human being. And my ability to do things for God has to come from my being with God. Because if I try to do before I be, I will burn myself out. But if everything that I do for the Lord, flows out of my being with him, then that's actually where the grace of God gets released to us and we can literally run, fam, forever and ever and ever and ever. What if I said to you that it was possible to live a life in Christ from now until either you die to go to be with the Lord or the Lord comes to get us, What if there was grace that was readily available to you to where you never had to go back to a place of feeling tired and worn out and heavy and striving and struggling to obey God. But it was actually a place where joy was being released. How are you doing this morning? Some of you are looking at me like, I don't have a grid for that. It's okay. The disciples followed Jesus for three and a half years. And every single one of them outside of John ran away. (laughs) And he knew it, bro. They saw all the miracle signs and wonders. They heard all the messages. They saw the 5,000 get fed with a couple pieces of bread and fish. They saw him walk on the water. They saw him raise the dead. They saw, bro, the demoniacs get free. They saw it all, fam. Right? How many, we just, Lord, if I could just see you, if I could just hear you, if you would just do this for me, if you would just speak to me, if you would just... Dude, and he actually says, he rebukes an entire generation. Again, this is all in our Bible. And he says, you're a wicked generation who continues to ask me for a sign. Even if I gave you a sign, you wouldn't believe. Hello? He's saying, I am the sign. I am the wonder. I am the miracle that you've been looking for. I feel like, fam, we we have underestimated so grossly the power of who Jesus actually is and the power of the gospel that we're running around looking for all these other things because we've moved past Him and we're looking for something beyond Him and the Spirit of God is calling the church back to Jesus. You've made it about all this other stuff because you've been tricked into believing there's something beyond God and can I tell you there's nothing beyond God? Come on! The joy is in making it about him. What do we say in our community all the time, right? Welcome to the family where it's not about you. I'm so excited, Brenda, about painting it on the wall this week at the church, at the building. It's not a church, it's a building, right? And it's not meant to just make people feel so afraid or whatever, but we're sending a message from the beginning. Welcome to the family. It's not about you. It's about Him. And if you will buy into that, you will have more joy in the Lord than you've ever had before and you will actually learn what it means to have friends and family. When you get out of the way and church isn't about what the program can do for your children or what it can do for you and it really becomes about Him, then you actually become free. All right, you got your Bibles? Ephesians chapter 2, how many of you read Ephesians 2 before? Raise your hand. It's okay if you didn't. It's not a measure of anything other than just kind of, where are we at here? The real question is, how many of you understand Ephesians 2? And does Ephesians 2 understand you? (laughs) Like, what do you mean, bro? I mean that the word is alive because Jesus is alive. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, I do read out of the NASB. If you're trying to follow along, if if whatever version you have is great. Verse 1, Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Look at somebody and say, I was dead. I was dead. I don't feel like some of you are very convinced. Like, come on, can we just laugh a little bit this morning, can we, can we talk about the reality that God did not get a good deal when you got saved? God didn't get a good deal when Josiah got saved. Doesn't matter. Huh? I don't think anybody would want to get another one of this. <laughs> Buy one, get one. I think, I think we only want half of that, actually. Right? It's the good news, Sam. It's okay. Don't take yourself so seriously. The gospel is good news because it sets us free from the seriousness of ourselves. This is the revelation of grace. That grace was like, hey, you tried really hard. You suck. You couldn't get it. I did it for you. Glory to God. You want the gospel in a nutshell? That's exactly what it is. It might sound offensive to you, but it really is that simple. When man could not, God said, I will. And it wasn't plan B. If I pick the title for my message today and I don't often do it, here's the title of the message. Crucified before the cross. He was crucified way before he got there, fam. And if you and I don't get crucified with Christ before we get to the cross places of our lives, we will miss him every single time. How you doing? It's like my favorite question. You know why I ask that question? Because it's what I hear the Lord say to me all the time. How you doing, champ? Oh, Lord. I think I'm doing okay. How you doing? You're going to hear it in your sleep long after I'm gone. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So if you're not in Christ, you're in the world, right? If you're not of the kingdom of God, you are of another kingdom. And can I just tell you that there is only one kingdom? There is only one king. There is only one kingdom. We sing the songs. We say this stuff. It is true. Every other God is an idol that cannot speak, that cannot hear, that cannot move, that can do nothing. That's why when we were singing this morning that God, that God has no rivals and he has no... Well, how many of you believe that God has no equals, right? Well, okay, of course, God has no equal. That includes the devil who's been, who's been brought up to this place of equality with God in the church. More people are afraid of the devil than they are of God, and it actually ought not be so. This is something also Jesus also says in the Bible. Do you know that he actually says, do not fear the one who has the power to destroy only your body, but fear the one who has the power to destroy both your body and your soul? Yeah, he wasn't threatening them. He was saying, what, why are you afraid of this? Yeah. I have authority over all things. Believe in me. If you're not of the kingdom, then what are you? You're a son of disobedience. Disobedience to what? To the gospel, which calls us to deny ourselves. Verse 3, and among them, we too, all, say the word all, all, formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature... Somebody say nature, Nature. children of wrath, even as the rest. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, or maybe you've said it to somebody else, I'm a good person. (laughs) I'm telling you, my Apple watch got saved in Hartwell, Georgia last week when we were there and she's never going back. Some of y'all have no idea, it's fine. There was a moment while I was preaching a message up in Georgia last week, and I don't even remember what it said, but it was so like the absolute right thing at the right time, and it made the whole place erupted like, whoa. I was like, finally, Siri's been listening to the word of the Lord. I've been trying to get her saved for a long time. You're not a good person. You know what we're talking about children, right? How do I know that no man is born good? Because I have kids. I didn't teach them to sin. They just know how to do it. Right? Anybody, any parent disagree? Right? And I'm not saying I don't not love my children, but I mean, the first time your little child says no. (laughs) The sons of disobedience, glory to God. There they are right there in the flesh. Right? Right? We're not born good. We are made good because even when they said to Jesus, good teacher, he said, who is good? There is only one that is good, and that is God. Right? And that's why we say, right, fam, that God is not just in a good mood. God is good. It is a manifestation of who he is. He is good. We say it in the church. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. But we say it. I honestly believe that most of us say it in the sense of we feel like in this moment he's in a good mood and he's happy with me. But when I leave here and I do the wrong thing, he's going to whack me in the back of the head. Because the goodness of God and the grace of God are one in the same thing. And the grace of God is the Greek word charis. We're going to find in a second. Which means it is God's goodness, Aaron. It's his good disposition towards me all the time. And that never changes. God's ability and willingness to repair the most broken breaches of my life far outweighs my ability to mess things up. The the reason why fam we need to get delivered from believing the gospel or the kingdom or community is about ourselves is because we don't understand how much of a hindrance we actually are to what God is trying to do in us. It's not the devil, it's not your family, it's not your friend, it's not your spouse. It's you. If you die and you get out of the way, then God can use you. And even if another person is doing what they shouldn't be doing, or they're saying what they shouldn't be saying, or they're being an obstruction or whatever it might be, listen, then the humility of God will be able to be working in you in such a way that what they're doing won't bother you. How are you doing this morning? Verse 4, but God, somebody say, God, But God, God. so he's saying, so we're the sons of disobedience outside of Christ. Here's your rat, the the nature of man outside of God is not good. And then Paul says, but God, which means that the gospel begins with God and it ends with God. It doesn't end with you and start with you. It begins with God and it ends with God. The good news of the gospel is that it has actually never been about you. It's never been about me. Your purpose is not to go out and to minister to others. Your purpose is to minister to him and him to you and it's actually in that place and the overflow of your life that you actually begin to minister to others. If your life looked more like Jesus, then more people would be asking more questions. The reason why the world wants nothing to do with the church is because the church looks just like the world. Why would I need anything from the church? They look like me. They talk like me. They gossip like me. They create drama. They're divisive. They're hypocrites. They're sinful. They go out. Right? Why, Why would we need that? And everybody knows somebody, if not 50 people in your life or in a past season who they're no longer a part of the church and they're either living full-blown in rebellion in the world or they're in total isolation, suffering because of what somebody else did to them in the name of the Lord. And beloved, I'm not chastising and saying, I'm I'm not angry with the church. If you have bitterness towards the church, you need to forgive them. You need to let them go. What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then there's also another part of that prayer that says, Father, forgive them for they know exactly what they were doing. <laughs> Jesus did, Judas didn't not know what he was doing, fam. He knew what he was doing. And he did it anyway. Forgiveness. There's no qualification for it other than just do it. To those who have been forgiven much, they love much. How well we love one another is seen in how well, in how, let, me, let me put it to you like this. The degree of God's forgiveness that we actually understand is played out in how well we love other people. Yeah. I talk to Christians all the time, and they're not able to let even some of the smallest things go. They're just so offended over every little thing. You know what it's evidence to me? Do you even know the gospel? Do you understand what kind of debt you've been freed from? how you doing verse four but God being rich in mercy Cam he's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved even when we were dead there's that word again say dead when Josiah was dead in his transgressions when you were dead in your sin he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We just stop right there and say, thank you, Lord, that when I could not do it, and I not only that I could not do it, but when I didn't even have a grid for trying to do it, you came and you found me. We've got, again, we're going to continue to make war with this language, this religious rhetoric that says, I found God. No, you didn't. You were created by God. God knew where you were all along, fam. You didn't come and find Him. He's been around the whole time. He is the one who actually opened your eyes so that you can see Him. Without Him, you can't hear Him. Without Him, you can't see Him. Without Him, you can't know Him. Right? The gospel... Is good news and the grace of God is amazing because it takes all the pressure off of me, Connor, to perform for him, to try to get something from him. And it says, I have received the fullness of God in my spirit and I'm actually able to obey him and do what he says because he's given himself to me so that I can give him back to him. (laughs) I want you to say this with me out loud. Are you ready? And the reason why I'm big on repeating things and saying things is because it helps get down on the inside. Right? Same reason why we say, hey man, I mean, you can say amen a hundred times or no times, but amen is giving yourself in agreement, not to me, but to the word of God. So I want you to say this with me It takes God, it takes God, to, love God. to love God. Look at your neighbor, as awkward as it might be, and say, it takes God, it takes God. to love God. So it doesn't take you to love God. It took God loving you so that you could love him and you could love others the same way. Come on. We use that analogy all the time. It's like little Z, Glenn, who loves you enough to want to buy you a birthday present on your birthday. Yeah, you. But he doesn't have any money. But because... Not because you need or want a birthday present, but because he wants to bless you because you're his daddy. He gives you, you give him the money and he goes and he buys a birthday present and he brings that birthday present to you. And it brings so much joy to your heart that you are overflowing with love for him. That is the gospel. That when I couldn't afford it, I couldn't do it, I couldn't make it. God came and he gave his son to me. And all he's asking me to do is give his son back to him in fellowship. And he actually enjoys it. Some of y'all are not hearing what I'm saying. We'll see. Amen. For it is by grace you have been saved, verse 6. And raised us up with him, seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The church is getting delivered in this season from celebrating the resurrected life on Easter Sunday once a year. And not only are we going to learn how to celebrate not only the crucified life and the resurrected life, but Paul is saying, actually, the gospel, fam, is not just death, burial, crucifixion, and resurrection. It is also ascension. How many believers do you know running around talking about living the ascended life? It's the crucified life, the resurrected life, and then it's I'm being seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. David said in Psalm 16, In your presence, O God, is the fullness of joy. At your right hand, Father, are pleasures forevermore. Who sits at the right hand of God the Father? Jesus. David was seeing Christ a thousand years before he came. It's a messianic prophecy. He's saying, in your presence, Yahweh, is the fullness of joy at your right hand. There is your Son who is coming towards the earth at this time. And in Him is pleasure forevermore. The grace of God is being imparted to me because I believe in what He's done for me. And that it's more than enough. If God never did anything else for you, would what He's done be enough? And we know the answer to the question is yes, but does your life testify of that? Or are you coming like a beggar to him every day, begging him for the scraps from the table when he's actually already pulled out a chair, made a place for you to sit, and prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies? Come on, man. Verse 7. Hello, Zai, Zai in order that in the age to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, say grace, Grace. you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of yourself, not of your own working, not of your own effort. He goes on, he says it right here in verse 9. Not as the result of works that no one should boast. Right? That we would not boast in something as if... Man, you know what Paul says to the church in Corinth? There's a group of pastors, leaders, ministers who they are doing all this stuff and he actually says to them, why do you act as if what's been given to you wasn't given to you freely? Why do you act as if anything you're doing, your ability to preach, teach, pray, prophesy, feed the homeless, heal the sick, anything that you're doing, why do you act as if that wasn't given to you freely by the grace of God? You don't do that on your own. You do it because God does it. How are you doing? Right. Look at what he says in verse 10. For we are his workmanship. We're His handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Man, the whole earth, this generation, young people especially, they are in an identity crisis. Somebody tell me who I am. tell Tell me somebody what to do. Somebody tell me what my purpose is. This is your purpose. I want you to say it. This is my purpose. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Old theologian used to say the chief end of man. Our purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Notice how it doesn't say and obey Him forever. Why? It's not because we're not obeying, fam. It's because in the kingdom of God, enjoying God and obeying God are the same thing. If you're not enjoying the Lord, you're going to have a really hard time doing anything that he says. And my ability to enjoy God comes from my understanding that he enjoys me. (laughs) Have you ever thought about the reality that once Adam and Eve fell in the garden, that God redeemed man? to such a place that he took the reality of the garden where he was walking and talking with man in unhindered fellowship and he's now placed that reality inside of you. I don't need to go back to the Garden of Eden because I have the Garden of Eden right here. He walks with me and he talks with me. Some of you are looking at me like, dude, there is no way that's correct. Your Bible tells you that it is. God died not only to give us the kingdom, but to put the kingdom. Have you ever heard that phrase? The kingdom is in you? That comes from the Bible. There is no kingdom without a king. If you have the kingdom, you have the king, and the king lives in you. You live in the king. It's not fancy religious language. I'm telling you, fam, that we, meaning all of us, need to get a deeper revelation of God's love for us so that we can not go love others, but so that we can love Him in return. And when we get to a place, right, Jesus said what they asked him, What is the greatest commandment? He says, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. But Jesus was assuming correctly that we would be hearing it in the context of knowing that he had already laid down his life for us. The natural expectation of For us, an understanding the gospel is not that we would have to give our lives, but it's that we would want to. Come on, man. God is not forcing you to be here this morning. If he is, there's the door. God is not forcing you to lay down your life for your children. He's not forcing you to be kind to other people. He's not forcing you to give generously. He's not forcing you to preach the gospel to the guy at the gas station. He's not forcing you to do anything. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, God's not gonna make me. Yet. Right? Bro, because we also know that the Bible says that there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'll tell you the way the Lord told me when I was having a hard time. And again, Based on where we are in intimacy with the Lord, it really does determine how we hear things, okay? But I'm going to tell you what he told me many, many, many years ago. And it wasn't because I was in a rebellious place. I was, I was considering the eternal leadership of Jesus. And he said to me, because he was talking to me, he said, you can bow now or you can bow later, but you will bow. And again, God's not begging people to love him. I mean, we will preach the love of Christ all day long. But beloved, I can tell you, if you actually go read your Bible, here's the things that people don't want to talk about. And this is where people start accusing you of being legalistic and preaching fire and brimstone or whatever. Do you know that Jesus, in a almost 10 to 1 manner, talked more about hell, eternal consequences, and money? as a matter of your heart, way more than he did love. He, and every time that he talked about love, it was in relationship to obedience and submission to his will. But we butter people up with the love of God trying to make them feel better about doing what he said. But Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will obey me. But he was coming out of the context of us understanding that he loves us. He's not saying you better love me and then go obey me. He's saying because I have loved you, you love me. And the response of my love to you and your love for me is that you do what I ask you to do. I'm telling you, man, we we have let people off the hook in the church by making them feel like they can do whatever they want. They can say whatever they want. They can have convictions however they want concerning all these things. And I'm not talking about preferences, fam, on some of the things. I'm saying we have not made the main thing the main thing for a very long time in the church, and it's why we have denominations. It's why we have separate and segregate groups of people all over the earth calling themselves Christians whose theology is so diverse. It's like the difference between, you know, swimming in the ocean and swimming in a pool full of chocolate milk. These two things are not the same. And the world is confused, and you and I get confused because Paul says they're preaching another gospel. How you doing, bro? I'm good. I know you are. The grace of God actually bids us to come and die to ourselves and be made alive in Christ. If you have your Bible, still go with me. Luke chapter 9. I'm going to start to wind down. Everybody doing okay? Come on. This is the class. Do you know that your children, although in their mind they may not be able to comprehend and understand everything we're saying that their spirit does? Yeah, that's right. That because the gospel is eternal and we are made in the image of that which is eternal, that we were made and we were designed in our humanity to receive the revelation of God. And God is sowing a revelation of himself into your children, whether they know it or not. And again, I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? I'm saying your Bible says in Galatians 1 that the kingdom of God is more caught than it is taught. And there's a whole lot of people, there's adults I know that are 70 years in God that still don't have a revelation of grace. They have all the information and no revelation. They can quote the, the, the Bible forwards and backwards, but they don't actually have any fruit internally because it's just a bunch of head knowledge. All right, Luke chapter 9. Say amen if you're there. We are going to start in. Verse 18. So this is right after Jesus feeds the 5,000 to the surprise of his disciples. And in verse 18, it says, Luke 9, 18. And it came about that while he was praying alone, The disciples were with him, and he questioned them. Jesus. He says, who do the multitudes say that I am? Have you ever had God ask you a question? Just me? Has God ever asked you a question? (laughs) I would tell you he has. Well, here's why I would say he has. Right? Right? In the Gospels, there are over 110 different questions recorded that Jesus asks. God talks in question form because God wants a dialogue rather than a monologue. God's not interested in you coming and asking the yes or no so I can get my answer and then go on with my life. No, God wants a dialogue. And, Brenda, I think it comes down to hearing, how how you hear. Maybe... You know, the, the, you're not hearing it in a question form because you've already submitted yourself to his voice as a command. Some, I will say this. He asks less questions to some than he does others. Those of us like me who are super hard-headed, he has to ask more questions because it takes me a little bit longer to figure it out. But he was consistently asking his disciples questions because he was setting them up. Do you think that Jesus knows the answer to the question before he asks it? He does. So why would he ask the question? Other than the fact that he's the humblest man alive. Because he understands the power of what happens when you lead someone in conversation to a conclusion rather than trying to shove that conclusion down their throat up front. God is asking questions because he actually is secure enough in who he is for us to consider the question and respond. He's not afraid of what we might say or afraid of what we might not say. He's inviting us into relationship, asking us questions. So he says to his disciples right after he feeds 5,000 people, and he says, who do the multitudes say that I am? And they answered and they said, John the Baptist and others say Elijah, but others, that one of the prophets of old has risen again. So they're coming up with all these other things other than who he really is. And he then he says to them, another question, right? But who do you say that I am? Can you hear that? And I would say this, Brendan. You know how I know he's asked you questions? Because they're right here. Here's the questions. Come on. And again, not, 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 you know, correcting you, but right. He's asked you lots of questions. We're answering those questions all the time. So he says, so who do you say that I am? He was setting them up for, let me paraphrase it for you. Let me put it in in a little bit more context that it doesn't matter who your spouse says Jesus is. It doesn't matter who your pastor says Jesus is. It doesn't matter who your parents, who might have raised you or not raised you in the church, say that he is. What matters is what you say about who he is, because what you believe about him is actually being fulfilled in your life right now. You can say whatever you want about God, and at the end of the day, your life either bears witness To what you say is the truth. Or it testifies against you. Not only is it making you a hypocrite. But it is saying you don't actually believe in what you're confessing. (laughs) When we say that he is Lord, Lord. If we look at your life. Will I see the Lordship of Christ being manifested in the way you live? Or is that just something that we sing in a song? Or something that we pray when we call God father yeah. Abba Papa Daddy Abba God God father you're my father father I thank you you know the reason why oftentimes when I'm praying I pray to the father because he is a father to me yeah. Yeah. it's not just his name he fathers me I am his son he is my Abba and I submit To his leadership in my life. And I accept the reality that Jesus who is his only begotten son is now my master and my Lord. He is also my brother and my friend. I call him father because I know that I've been brought into a family in which he is the head of. And he's given his authority to the son and asked me submit to the authority of the son for the sake of the glory of the son and for my own good. Father, you know why we pray, Father? Because when the disciples asked Jesus, "Teach us how to pray," what did He say? Our Father. Do you know why they why the Pharisees hated Jesus, Hannah? Because He called God Father. You better be calling Him Yahweh. He made it personal. He closed the gap. Between what was in the sky and now what was on the earth. And he said, I have, I have and I am permanently closing the separation between God and man. And I'm making my Father accessible to you. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is the image of that which was invisible. And now he is manifested. The disciples said what, bro? Show us the Father and we'll believe. Yeah. Jesus said, once you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How? How? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold the phone, man. Like, what do you mean? No, that's what I mean. I mean, I am him. John chapter 8. The Pharisees are mad. They are, dude, they want to kill Jesus because he's because they're talking about their father who is Moses. The law. We've done all this stuff. We've obeyed the commands. We're self-righteous. We don't wanna, And he says, Let me tell you about Moses, by the way, who's my servant? He said, I tell you the truth. Before Moses was, I am. Ah! They wanted to kill him. What was it like to be in the presence of Jesus? When Isaiah 61 is opened up, he opens up the scroll and he says, I tell you the truth, today, in your hearing, that which has been read has been fulfilled. <laughs> Come on, man. Why are we talking about this this morning? Because what we say about Jesus, what we say about God as Father, what we say about the Holy Ghost, who is God, it matters to Him, it matters to us, and it is being played out in the way that we live every day. You can say, This is my doctrine, this is my theology, this is what I believe, this is how I sing, whatever, but your life is the prophecy. Are you prophesying well? It doesn't take prophets to prophesy. The spirit of prophecy, Revelation 19.10. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of God in your life is prophesying to your children and to your spouse and to your in-laws and to your parents and to your neighbor and to everyone around you. It's prophesying to you. Are you paying attention to the prophecy that your life has become? And are you a self-fulfilling prophecy or are you a God-fulfilled prophecy? (laughs) Come on, Johnny. You guys okay? A couple more verses. Say amen if you're with me. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. Another translation in Matthew, Jesus begins to praise Peter and says, I thank you. I'm thankful that this has not been revealed to you, Simon, son of Barjona, by man, but it's been revealed to you by God, who is my father. It's been revealed to you by the spirit. No man comes unto the father unless the spirit of God draws them through Jesus. So did you find God this morning or did God always know where you are? He was always looking for you, always finding you, and always working in all of His fullness to reveal the glory of the Son to you. Always. He's working right now to reveal the Spirit of God. So when we say this phrase, anybody ever heard this phrase, the Spirit and the bride say, come? What does that mean? Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. The Spirit and the bride say, come. The Spirit of God, John 14, the function of the Holy Ghost in the Godhead is to reveal the Ephesians 3, verse 8, unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus. That the Spirit of God is working in your life and in your life and in your life and in your life and in my life to reveal the glory of God to me so that I might know Him and He would know me. We're having dinner with Andrew and Hannah Rittering last night. We went to the wrong Mexican restaurant, had to leave and go to the one they were at. That was my fault, not theirs. And we were talking about this thing that we've been talking about, which is that we've got to stop teaching people in the church how to behave and start exampling for them how to behold. That if you would spend time looking at him and being with him and gazing on him, Parker, you were made, bro, even in your youthfulness, bro, to know the glory of God for yourself. That your revelation would far exceed your parents' revelation, bro, so that you would be able to fly higher and jump longer and run faster, bro. But you've got to know him for yourself. And he wants you to know him and he wants to give himself to you and you don't have to wait until you're 30 or 40 or 50 to know God. You can know God right now. You don't have to wait. We sing this own song, I don't have to wait till tomorrow because I can have you today. Stop waiting for the next church service. Stop waiting for the next devotional time in the morning and go and get with God. Pray in the spirit, sing in the spirit, fellowship with God, turn off the TV, get alone with him. Get rid of all the distractions and get with him because I can tell you, he wants to get with you. Always. Beloved, Jesus is more than a 15 minute devotional that we turn on in the morning and then turn it off while we go about the day. The conversation for him never ends. Come on, man. How long is the scroll of your life? I want mine to go on forever and ever and ever because I'm committed to the reality that my relationship with God didn't start when I was born and it ends when I die. I'm committed to the reality that the Bible says that He fellowshiped with the thought of me before the world began and He will be fellowshipping with me for all of eternity. It's time to unplug from temporal realities and get plugged into eternal ones. I'm preaching good to you this morning. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone. Why, Brenda? Why would the Lord be asking them about the revelation they had and then tell them not to go tell anyone? Anybody? Because he wanted everyone else around him to have the same encounter that Peter was having. He understood the power of God being revealed to a man by God and not God being revealed to a man by a man. Even if you come today into a greater revelation of God as the result of being here today, it's not because I did it or she did it or he did it. It's because God did it. And beloved, this is not just words. We're not just saying that in some false form of humility. It's the truth. If you knew me before God, and even if you knew me in God, you would know there is nothing good in me that I have that does not come from Him. There is nothing good in you, Connor Jacob, outside of knowing Christ Jesus. Amen, champ. We don't have to be ashamed of that. It doesn't matter who you are. Maybe you were on drugs, maybe you never did it. Maybe you grew up as the as the good little church girl and you never sinned against God. Praise the Lord. He still died for your little self-righteous attitude. Yeah. <laughs> he still died for your little jealousy and your insecurity and your selfishness. He still died for the first time that you told your mom and dad, "No." Come on. Because we tend to make levels for people in sin and then separate and elevate ourselves according to what we think they did and we think what we did and it's all self-righteousness and it's all got to come to the cross. You think you're any better than the homeless guy who's who's on crack? You think you're any better than a prostitute who's in need of God? Do you think you're any better than a drag queen who's suffering in the LGBTQ lifestyle right now? Suffering, needing the love of God? You're not any better! Who's to say that you and I couldn't be there tomorrow if we didn't have him today? Jesus did not die. And he does not live now to create country club atmospheres in the church where only the most spiritually elite are welcome to come. Verse 22. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. And he must be killed and be raised up on the third day. And he was saying to them all, say all, All. if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, say daily. Daily. daily and follow me. How many times do you have to die, Jared? As many as it takes over and didn't I already die once today? Die again. And, and can I just tell you to, give you to give us some greater context that when Jesus is talking about, think about this. He's talking about the cross of Christ and he has not yet been there. But our Bible says that he was the lamb that it was slain before the foundation of the earth. The grace of God resting on him to endure the cross for our sake. And he was literally saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, If you want my life living and dwelling in you, you must first deny yourself. Can I give you the definition of deny? Well, I'm going to give it to you anyway. The Greek word is aperneomai. To utterly deny oneself. To disown. To refuse. Aaron. To stand firm against yourself. Hey, I'm not fighting you. I'm fighting me. Because the truth is, if I would conquer, if I would let the Lord conquer me, I wouldn't feel the need to conquer you. To disregard and do away with in fullness all personal interests and enjoyments. (laughs) Who wants to deny themselves today? Who wants to lay down all of your personal enjoyments and interests for the glory of God in the sake of others? Because I'm telling you right now, this radically addresses the entitlement in our own hearts for every bit of comfort that we feel like God wants us to have. I know, man. Well, I mean, I'm sure that God loves me enough to let me. Wrong answer. God loves you enough to let you be dead to yourself so much so that your actual only concern is glorifying him in the service of others. And we have tried to spin this every which way to Sunday. We have used the wisdom of man to try to make people feel way more comfortable about what God is doing in their life than he actually intends them to be. Do you know that God is raising up an entire generation of brothers and sisters, preachers and teachers who are totally okay with living in the awkward tension of the truth. Not going to butter it. I'm not going to, not, you, know, you know, butter it up for you and we're going we're gonna to just make it palatable and accessible so that everybody just feels, oh, glory to God that we would actually leave the presence of one another with a deeper sense of conviction in the Holy Ghost. I don't want to be around people who give me permission to be complacent. I want to live in community with people who stoke my fire and make me leave going, I want more, Lord, of you. Family of Fire Ministries, welcome. We didn't name it that because we saw the the name sounded cool. Do you know that I literally spent three months saying to the Lord, there's no way we can possibly name the ministry that way. Nobody will come. He said, the, nobody that you want to come. But I'm going to send the hungry ones. I'm going to send the ones who are going to hear the gospel and get born again. The ones that are going to say yes to the message of the cross. I'm not, because we were going to name it Lighthouse Fellowship. Isn't that much more? Or by the beach. Lighthouse Fellowship. What's wrong with that? And the Lord said, even in the way that you name and you frame the work in which I'm doing in this season. He said, I want you to draw the right attention to my name, not the wrong attention to my name. He said, I want you to draw the right attention to my name and not the wrong attention to my name. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him... Utterly deny himself, disown, refuse, stand firm against himself, disregard all his personal interests and enjoyments, and take up his cross. What is the cross? More than just wooden cross beams, eh? What, what is the cross? I'm glad you asked. The Greek word is storos, which means a pole or a beam upon which one experiences death. Take up your experience of death daily. Do you know that every person who was sentenced to crucifixion, not just Jesus, every person as part of the punishment of crucifixion, if you were assigned to be crucified, it wasn't just they take you up there and put the nails on you and hang you till you die. You got the 39 lashes. You were scourged and beaten brutally. You're almost dead by the time that's over. And then they mock you by making you take the cross and walk to the place of your execution. Then they put the nails on you and hang you up there until you suffocate and you die. How do you feel about dying daily now, Shelby? But the grace of God is sufficient that we would actually enter in willingly to the grace of literally your flesh being filleted. It being taken into submission so that we can take up that cross. Because I've said it before and I'll say it again. Jesus did not carry his cross so that we would not have to. That's right. Jesus carried his cross to show us how to carry ours. If you disagree with me, what do you do with this? How do you get around this? The disciples couldn't get around it either. And that's why they all died martyrs, except for John, who was boiled in oil and survived it. They were thrown off buildings, they were cut in half, they were beheaded. Connor and I were talking this morning about how everybody loves to preach about David and Elijah and Moses. Ain't nobody talking about John the Baptist, who Jesus said was no man greater born of a woman than John. Do you know why we don't talk about John in the church? We don't talk about John in the church because John was a man who didn't live a life of glory in the eye of the public. He lived in the wilderness eating locusts and honey, he lived 30 plus years in obscurity and nobody knowing his name. Is she okay? Nobody knowing his name for 30 years, bro, to come out of the wilderness and most scholars would say for a 6 to 18 month period and then he died. Can you imagine training your entire life, Andrew, to do a job, bro, until you're however many years old, and then you actually get to work that job in such a way where it produces something for 6 to 18 months, and then you spend the last two years of your life in prison, and they cut your head off, and that's it. But Jesus says that's success in the kingdom of God. The word of God says that there is no man greater born of a woman than John the Baptist. For whoever wishes to save his life, I'm going to close right here. Last couple verses. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. If you try to hold on to what you have, it's going to be taken from you anyway. (laughs) Your time, your talent, your treasure, your house, your home, your stuff, your job, even your kids, your spouse. Whatever you idolize, it's going to be taken from you anyway. So lay it down. Do you know that you'll actually never fully enjoy the value of the gift that God gave you until you take the gift and give it back to Him? The, the harder I grip this, the actually the heavier that thing becomes. You know, gifts become idols because we're holding on too hard to what God is asking us to hold loosely. Your spouse can become an idol. Your children can become an idol. Your job can become an idol. Working out. Your body can become an idol. Anything. It's not bad things, fam, that become idolatry. It's good things. It's what happens when we value that which is created over the creator himself. (laughs) Even creation groans. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Verses 26 and 27 and then we're done. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words. And some of you would say in this room this morning, well, I'm not ashamed of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Does your life testify of that? Does my life testify that I'm not ashamed of the gospel? And it doesn't mean that I have to go out and preach with words to every person that I see. That's not what he's saying. He's saying those who have lost their life, those who are giving everything up willingly, those who have come into the, to the place of enjoying and knowing me, these are the ones who are not ashamed of my words. And of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. I feel like the Holy Spirit is asking us a question. And it's not one that you're going to be able to answer right now. Are you ready for the question? So then, what will become of your life? So then, what will become of your life? What are you going to do different when you leave here today? That you weren't doing when you came here? What are some of the things that God has been saying to you that you haven't been taking very seriously because you've believed the lie that God doesn't really care that much about what he says? (laughs) Because you know, some of us, we believe that. You know how I know that? Our lives testify. My life testifies to me that there are places in me where I'm not valuing the voice of the Lord the way that I should. And do you know what it means? It means that he's inviting me into a deeper place of really understanding who he is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that where our words fail, Lord, your spirit helps. And God, I am asking, Lord, this afternoon, God, as we have gathered in this place, Lord, to be with you and to be with each other. Lord, that you would take, Lord, your word, that word, Lord, in Ephesians 2, Lord, your word in Luke 9, Lord, your word within your word, and that, Lord, you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened to the truth of who you are. And God, I'm asking that you would deepen, God, not only conviction. And conviction is not an exposing of our sin, fam, as much as it is exposing our need of a deeper revelation of Him. It's actually where He's convicting us and inviting us into a place of not only showing us what is wrong, but he's inviting us into a place where he wants to help us make it right. And so, Lord, we receive, if you just want if you can, if you're willing, put your hands out in front of you and just say, Father, we receive the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, we receive your grace to change. Lord, in the places, God, where we cannot change on our own, God, we are asking that you would come and that you would change us into the image and the likeness of Jesus. Father, we're contending, Lord, this morning as a family and as a people. God, that you would bring us out of every place of complacency and compromise within our own hearts. And that, God, you would bring us into the fullness of who you are. Lord, and that it would bring joy. Father, I'm praying, Lord, this morning that the joy of the Lord would be the strength of this family. Lord, that in the places where we feel heavy, God, where we feel like we can't do it. Father, I'm praying that you would break heaviness off, Lord, this morning in Jesus' name. Lord, the place where we are striving to die. Lord, that we would just let it go, God, and that you would give us grace to die. I know that some of you know part of my testimony. and just keep your eyes closed because I'm praying for years and years and years, man. I was telling the Lord, I'm, I'm trying And I still remember the day that he came to me in my room and he said, I want you to stop trying and start dying. Lord, we're not trying harder to love you. Lord, we're acknowledging that we can't without you. Lord, we choose, Lord, to lay down on that cross. Lord, we choose, God, to deny ourselves. God, we choose in this moment to radically oppose every agenda in our flesh that wants to be selfish and we deny ourselves by the grace of God. We take up our cross, and Lord, we say as a people today, we're coming after you. God, thank you for coming after me so that I could come after you. Father, I pray for grace, grace, grace. God, even as Paul said to Timothy, be strong in the grace. My son, so Father, I say, Lord, to your people whom you love. God, we hear you say it to us. Be strong in the grace. Lord, that we will be strong in your glad and good disposition towards us today. Lord, we lay to rest the question of whether or not you're for us or against us. Lord, what manner of love is this that you would lay down your life for your friends? Lord, we know that you're for us. And we celebrate that reality today.